Good morning, good morning. Yeah, all right, yeah, the sound is on, that's good. Well, before I start, I would like to say that today I'm a little slower than usual because my morning started with a lot of struggles. It was a battle for my health pretty much. I, was, I became sick at 2 p.m., was puking, my whole body from head to toe was aching, headache and everything. And then I was even considering not to come. So I was feeling that sick. But the Lord is good. And, yeah. And I want to thank all the brothers and sisters that prayed for me because prayer has power. And for real, I'm feeling, like, good now. Of course, I'll go with a pace lower. <laughs> but uh, let's do this. I mean... Let nothing stop the Word of God. But before we start, I want to pray, and then we'll go to it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone that's here. I want to thank you for this opportunity that I have to share the good news, share your Word with our brothers and sisters. I want to ask you for your guidance, for me. Give me strength and wisdom to speak what you want me to speak what the church needs to hear, and that we will come to learn more about you, more about your word, and come to trust you more and more. I want to thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you know, as Marcus said, that uh, Pastor Doug is on vacation, and he asked me to do the message for the coming three weeks. As I was searching for topics or texts to preach about, I got inspired by a theme of the communion. In Papimento, you say communion. So there's an event every year that is organized by the evangelical churches of the ABC Islands. And this year it happened on Bonaire. And next year it will be on Aruba and then Curaçao and so on. So there's a loop between the three islands. So the main theme of this gathering was stand firm and it was based on Ephesians 6:14 if we go there to read 14 what it says it says stand firm therefore having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness now of course we can pick only this verse out out of the whole text but we can't read this verse without considering the whole context of the chapter, but also of the whole letter of all the chapters. As we know, Ephesians was written by Paul. And he wrote Ephesians to show us basically our identity in Christ. This is how you live because of what God has done for you. Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. And we can see that in the first chapter, where Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So it is saying clearly here that Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, to believers, to God's holy people. This is really the end of the letter and needs to be seen a little bit in its context. This particular letter follows a pattern 
that many of the epistles in the New Testament follow, particularly those written by Paul. In the opening chapters, namely chapter 1, 2, and 3, it talks about our identity or identify our position in Christ. These three chapters mainly, namely are doctrinal chapters. We'll come back to that later. They define for us what it means to be a Christian. And chapter 6 is giving the church, well, Paul here is writing his final remarks, the conclusion of the letter he wrote to them. Explaining to them about the importance and meaning of their salvation, that they were saved by grace, through faith, and in Christ. That they were chosen by God, adopted in His family. And finally, he concluded his letter in chapter 6, verse 10, saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Why does Paul tell the church to stand firm or be strong? Why? How can they be strong? Why in the Lord and not in their own strength? Well, these are questions that we can ask ourselves today. Think about it. But we will answer them. And if you look at your bulletin, you will see also a few questions wrote down that I wrote down to help take notes. So basically, if we go to start from verse 10, I'll read from 10 till 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, well, when you see this word, you already know there's something before you got to pay attention to. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having strapped your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be alerted, with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly and I ought to speak, as I ought to speak. So if we go here, the first question how do we stand firm? Well, the answer is right there in verse 10. In the Lord and in the strength of His might by putting on the full armor. Not in our own, not on our own strength, but in the Lord in the strength of His might. And the next one we see, why stand firm by putting on the armor? I think 
there must be a correction in the notes there. In the bulletin, there's only why stand firm, but by putting on the armor, that's the full question. In verse 11, we have to answer. To be able to stand firm against the devil and resist on the evil day. But now, if we are to put an armor on, that means we're preparing for a battle. There is a war that is real. Whether you believe it or not, there is a real war going on. And like it says, we have our struggles that are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where we find it in verse 12. So if we go and analyze this armor, we have a lot of parts. And in your bulletin, you see you have the spaces. You can write the, the elements or the parts of the armor, starting with the belt of truth, where we find in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Now, belted our waist. If you think about that, you think already about the belt, right? Now, the question is, what are belts used for? Pretty much to hold things together, right? Hold up the pants. To keep things together and in place. Remember that word. Keep things together. Paul is telling the church to put on the belt of truth. Now, okay. The belt. We know what a belt is. But now, do we know what truth is? That's the question. What is the truth? Especially nowadays. Who is the truth? Where can we get the truth? Well, if we look in Psalm 119, verse 160, we find this text. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Now, where do we get the truth? We get the truth in the Bible. Because here in this verse is saying clearly that the entire Bible is true. And now, what is the truth that the Bible speaks of? Or better ask, who is the truth that the Bible speaks of? In John 14, 6, we find the answer when Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. So this truth is what we need buckled around our waist. We need to know the truth, so know Jesus. And the truth is that Jesus is the only way to God. Only through him we can get saved. Now the question is, do you have that truth today? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior today? If we continue in verse 14, part 2, it says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, to clothe ourselves in righteousness with what is right, with what is good. Now, is it tackling a problem here? Yeah. Well, what is the problem? Because we're all good, right? We good. We do good stuff, we do charity, we have a righteousness. I mean, we're all good people, right? Well, the Bible says something different. There is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10. And in Isaiah 64.6, we find also, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds 
or like a filthy garment. <laughs> and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. Well, on ourselves, there's nothing good in us. Why? Because we are sinners, and we were born like this. You can find that also in Psalm 51. But through Christ, I can do all things. Through Christ, my sins are forgiven. And then I can clothe myself with righteousness. But whose righteousness? Righteousness of Jesus. Where can I find what is right and pleasing to God in the Bible, in the scriptures, and in God's word? If we continue to verse 15, we see, And having strapped our feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And he dwelt in the garden with them. And he was with them. But then they disobeyed God. God had separated himself from them. Why? Because he is perfect. God is holy. He is God, and sin cannot be in his presence. Because of this, we as sinners, when we do not know Christ as our Savior, we are not at peace with God. There is no peace between you and God if you're not saved. But of course, there's the good news. If you really think about it, separation from God, that's really sad. I mean, it really means death. Separation from God, we have no life. But therefore, in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know a lot of children, youths, adults on the island that do not have that peace with God yet. It is our responsibility as a church to go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel so they hear this. But the gospel is a famous word. We all know the gospel it even became a genre in music. They say you have gospel music. But what does it really mean? I mean, I think it's a general knowledge that we know the gospel means good news. But the real question is, what makes it such a good news? I mean, gospel means good news, but what makes the gospel such a good news that we have to proclaim it and go around the whole earth and preach it? Well, we find it in the same epistle that Paul wrote. Well, now in chapter 6, he's concluding. But if you go back to chapter 2 of Ephesians, I'm going to turn there now. We see here, remember, the first three chapters are doctrinal chapters, which means Paul is explaining the church, our position in Christ. Where do we stand in Christ? And who are we because what he has done for us? With this in mind, in Ephesians 2, chapter, yeah, chapter 2, verse 1, we have here, And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them... We too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But now comes my favorite two words, but God, 
being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he had loved us, John 3.16, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. Now that's the key word. He made us alive, not individually. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then he continues to say, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And now the famous verse, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Remember the righteousness, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So now we have the gospel portrayed. In simple words, Christ died for us. Well, Christ died in our place in order for us to be reconciled with God in unison. That is the gospel. I mean, God reconciled us in unison. And we have a, we have a reference of this about the bond of peace in Ephesians 4.10 where it talks about the reconciliation, but more if you go there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, of course, Paul was a prisoner when he wrote this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So gospel of peace is literally this, what is mentioning here. Because it's in his conclusion, he's referring back to what he already mentioned. God himself is our peace. Well, now you might ask, okay, then, if we're in a battle, we're in a war that's real, we have an enemy or a bunch of them, um, what would be the victory of the enemy? Simple. This unity. This unity would be the victory for the enemy. But again, but in Christ, we are together at peace with God, reconciled in unison. If we continue to verse 16, we see the shield of faith. The shield of faith. That's the first part. Shield, we know, we use it to protect yourself, right? Especially in the old way of uh, battling, they use the shield, but I think they still have the kind of shields the police has, they, their type of shield nowadays. Shield is literally something you use to protect yourself. And in the computer world, you also have a shield that's like to protect you from the viruses, right? <laughs> and now the question is, what is faith? Shield of faith. What does that mean? Does our faith shield us? Hmm. Well, I think some people might agree to that, some people not. But I think the full sentence would be our faith 
in Christ is what shields us, not our faith that just comes from ourselves for our own glory. So now, if we pay attention to the word faith, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's used as a verb, and verbs are something that we can do. Example, I have faith. Have is the verb right there. I believe, verb. I sit, I think. So faith, in a form of a verb, means to believe in something or someone that you cannot see. If I read it from the text itself, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's where you find the definition of faith. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Now, the question is, in who or what is our faith based upon today? Well, in Ephesians 2.8, we already read it. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ for salvation, you should have faith that His word is true. And everything he said. So even though your struggles, our struggles are much bigger than us, by faith we know that the one in us is much greater than the one who is in the world. So, By faith we know that Christ is much more powerful than whatever the devil is trying to do to you today. You just have to have faith. The devil will be shooting fiery darts and arrows at you with different lies and schemes. But you will not fall. Why? For that you have faith in God and his word. If you continue to verse 17, we'll read about the helmet of salvation. A helmet is also something to protect us. So up until this point... We're hearing about some parts that are to protect us, or for our protection, or for our defense. A belt of truth, is, it's used to hold things together in order for you to be able to run and, and defend yourself, right? Breastplate of righteousness, it protects us. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace, protection. Shield of faith, protection. Helmet of salvation. Well, why do we need a helmet? If you see the bikers or the, the people that uh, have scooters, they, most of them have helmets, right? Why? Because then if something happens, right, you, your head is protected, and your head is very important because there's where your mind is, your brains, everything is connected. I mean, we got to protect that. And that is why in this particular text, it's tackling that. I'm going to go back here to Ephesians 6, verse 17. I'm going to read it real quick. Thanks. And take the helmet of salvation. Well, we talked about the shield of faith. Because of this faith, believing and trusting with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul in God, we know that he has saved us when we believe in Christ and accept Him as our Savior. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now the question is, are you saved? Once you accept 
Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, nothing, no one can snatch you away. Not even yourself, not even your sins. You're covered. Christ died on the cross so that we can be saved and have eternal life. There are a lot of false teachings nowadays that we have to pay attention to. Well, not really pay too much attention. I mean, pay attention to the, go- to the truth, God's word, and you will recognize what is false. But we got to be alert. There are a lot of false doctrines in the world today that we will tackle next week more in depth. But listen to this. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior and you have done it with sincerity and honesty, you are saved, declared the Lord. And now we read, you cannot lose, lose salvation. Salvation cannot be lost. Once you're saved, you're covered. So if anyone tells you you can lose your salvation, that is a lie that you have to protect yourself to. Put on your helmet. Stick to Christ. You're covered in Him. And that is a lie Satan the devil comes with. If we read John 10, 28-29, we will read about this. If we can go there real quick. John 10, verse 28-29. Hmm. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then it closed with, I and the Father are one. This is why we need the helmet of salvation. So that when this happens, when we hear lies and schemes, we know what the truth is because we have buckled ourselves with the truth. We know in whom our faith is. We know what is right, which is not from our own righteousness. And this helmet is to protect our minds of the lies and schemes that the devil can bring. So like I said, up to this point, we're still talking about defense. But what about attack? I mean, if we're going to war, we've got to be able to defend and attack, right? Well, there's where we come to. Verse 17, part 2. And we find the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17. The sword is the Word of God. The Word of God is important. This is the manual that God gave us so that we can know how to live in this world. Because remember, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. And, and that is re- important to remember. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. But we do have a manual how to live in it. The entire armor was defensive, like I said, to protect ourselves against the different struggles. For us to stand firm and for us to know what is right and pleasing to God. 